0: This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu, that's c-h-a-l-c-e-d-o-n.edu, to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Roussus John Rushdini Copyright 2007 Mark R. Rushdini published by Calcedon Ross House Books PO Box 158 Vallecito California 95251 all rights reserved the cure of souls recovering the biblical doctrine of confession by RJ Rushdoony chapter 23 confessing other people's sins It would seem that in some circles today, both Christian and humanistic, true confession means to many confessing other people's sins. For some, it is a mark of holiness to be able to confess their spouses, pastors, neighbours or employers' sins, if sins they be. A very popular form of this is to confess the sins of one's parents. All too many young men and women feel cheated by life because their parents represent something less than perfection. It does not occur to them that, th- that it is their parents who have the surer grounds for complaints. Too many school counsellors encourage students to complain about their parents, a most ungodly procedure. In the 1930s, I did some practice teaching at a prestigious high school. I was shown the students' records as compiled by staff counsellors that advanced school and was encouraged to familiarise myself with the records of those in my class. I looked at one or two records of students whose families I knew. One of them was a professor of national renown, a gracious scholar, a kindly man, one who regularly had groups of students in his home and who helped and encouraged them in their careers. Although this professor was not a Christian and was politically a liberal, he reflected the manners, discipline, morality and standards of old-fashioned Christian family. The counsellor's report on this professor was libelous to the extreme. He was classified as a reactionary and an unfit father. He had been anything other than a distinguished scholar. The counsellor would have recommended some kind of action against him. The boy grew up to be a happy and successful man. Students were encouraged to discuss their family problems, by which was meant whatever they thought was wrong with their parents. This was good training in Phariseeism and it was incentive to self-righteousness. With all too many psychiatrists, psychologists, counsellors and pastors, good counselling too often includes confessing other people's sins, especially our parents. All this has fostered an evil generation. Such false confession marks individuals and also nationalities and races. We have developed professional finger-pointers who make a life's work of confessing the sins of other peoples. Thus, many whites find it easy to confess the sins of blacks, Asiatics, Indians and others. There are enough offenders out there to make it easy to do so. But as Christians, we must believe that grace and growth in sanctification come from confessing our own sins. The Lord God nowhere pronounces forgiveness or a blessing on anyone confessing someone else's sins. African Americans in recent years have also become masters of such Pharisaic confessions. To hear some talk, all evil was born with the white man and blacks have only been victims. One wonderful pastor of a large black congregation with many black university professors as members had his pastorate terminated for calling attention to African-American sins, including welfareism. The congregation wanted to hear about sins, but not their own. In the 1930s, as a student, I worked part-time in an antique jewelry store as an errand boy, doing cleaning work and also sales with minor customers, that is, not the wealthy, well-known persons. Occasionally, another jeweller, an elderly Jew, would come in to chat with the owner, an old friend and a Florentine. The old man was a kindly person and a good storyteller who often chatted with me. On one occasion, in discussing his childhood in old San Francisco, he described his fights with Irish and Italian boys, who, in the verbal assaults, called him a Christ-killer, The truth was, he said, getting somewhat emotional, he had nothing to do with someone killed in a place he had never seen. The truth was, he said earnestly, Christians were Jew killers, and he cited medieval incidents. I started to tell him two things. First, my people were being killed by Turks in those medieval centuries, and second, if today's Jews are not Christ killers, neither are today's Christians Jew killers. He was guilty of the same fallacy. My Italian boss told me to keep quiet and turned the conversation into a humorous story and a friendly parting followed. But after the man left, my boss said sadly, he's a good man, but Jews will never admit that they are Christ killers. Confessing other people's sins, real or unreal, is a common and an international habit. In recent years, American Indians have learned this art of false confession and practice it widely. On the ecclesiastical scene, such confessions are a well-practised art. In this century, all the churches are so deeply involved in a variety of heresies, immoralities, offences and sins that they all need to be deeply in prayer and self-confession, not in mutual recriminations. Careful theological analyses and critiques are one thing when accompanied by a careful statement of God's scripture truth, but cheap virtue gained by confessing someone else's sins is another matter, a sinful one. Counseling today stresses such false confessions. For example, a man, irritated over a minor problem at work, provoked his boss into firing him. He wanted an excuse to feel sorry for himself, and this was a regular pattern with him. A very capable man, he went from job to job, soon angry with his superiors and creating incidents which led to his discharge. His wife, sick with shingles from his job migrations and tantrums, went to bed, unable to take his drunken ranting. She awoke hearing her daughter screaming because of her father's attempted molestation. She filed for divorce. The pastor's questions were motivated by his no-divorce policy. He insisted that she must have done something to provoke her husband into such behaviour. Had she inquired delicately, he thought, kept her legs crossed when he needed her. She, not he, was disciplined by the church. She was told that she had no grounds for divorce. Unusual? Unhappily, no. The pastor had not asked the husband to confess his sins, he had made no attempt to examine the facts carefully, and he was saving a marriage. The husband had admitted his offence on questioning, but he had blamed his ex-boss for his drunkenness and his wife for nagging him. He saw himself as a victim. He had confessed his ex-employer's sin and his wife's sin as justification for a misstep he said he regretted and knew was wrong. But if we plead extenuating circumstances for sin, we have not confessed sin. The confession of the old office of compline is sadly forgotten in our time. I confess to God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and before all the company of heaven, that I have sinned, in thought, word, and deed, through my fault, my own fault, my own grievous fault, Wherefore I pray to Almighty God to have mercy upon me, to forgive me all my sins and to make clean my heart within me." The primary task of the pastor counselor is not to preserve the marriage, nor to break it up, but to ascertain what the sin is, whose it is, whether or not there is repentance and thereby to enable the man and woman to see their problem more clearly. Sin and salvation must be his primary concerns. The fact that both the man and the woman are church members is no assurance of their salvation. Similarly, in counselling non-marital problems, there is a certainty of further dissension unless true confession and restitution have primacy. Christians do have problems, but not all people in churches are Christians. Confessing other people's sins has become the essence of too much counselling. It is too often equated with an efficient ministry. The results are deadly. Good church people have become masters at whining and complaining, at confessing the sins of others. Some prospective employers are now investigating the complaining habits of job applicants. I have heard of several men who were regarded as the best qualified by far for a job opening but were passed over when their habit of talking against present and past employers became known. After all, if a man is ready to complain freely to one and all about present and past employers, it is reasonable to assume that he will about the next one. The church is derelict in these matters. I recall some years ago that high among the list of favourite Bible verses of many people were the following. Quote, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. End quote, from Philippians 4.6-7 Quote, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. End quote, from Philippians 4.11 Quote, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content." End quote, from 1 Timothy 6, 6-8 to Many more such verses can be cited. I grew up knowing people who had survived wars, massacres, and revolution living by these verses, when what they had we now would not call fit, food, or raiment. When they had the opportunity, they became the backbone of society, free men and women who were builders and a thankful people. They confessed Christ, and they confessed their own sins. One of my dearest memories was of a saintly, hard-working woman who had known a full complement of sorrows. She was always a happy woman, though twice widowed by massacre and barely surviving a famine. Although not a Catholic, her well-worn prayer beads were commonly in hand one round of prayers to confess her sins and shortcomings, another to thank God for His grace, mercy and blessings. It is impossible for me to think of her, my grandmother, without joy and gratitude. She left nothing when she died except a rich heritage of faith and a godly confession. The Lord God will give you neither absolution nor grace for confessing other people's sins. Begin and end with your own, or face his judgments. This is the end of chapter 23.
1: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit